Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. We read last week, our, the, title, the sermon this week is uh, and part of our series, Love Plus. You know, you, yeah, every subscription service now seems like to have a plus. And so I thought, you know, and, and really when I was thinking about Love Plus, you know, it, it's fitting with February and that type of thing. But I, just, I didn't want to focus this zero in on like uh, marriage relationship or, or, you know, parents and kids. I, I kind of wanted to take a broader view of love, of what Scripture tells us. And what we can really do is allow the Holy Spirit to apply that in every area of our life, no matter where the relationship is. And when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, you guys are familiar with it. And uh, uh, I, I was just, even when any ceremony I do for marriage, I, I quote this passage or I read this passage, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It is not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As far as prophecies, they'll pass away. As far as tongues, they'll cease. As for the knowledge, it will pass away. And then we skip to verse 13. It says, now there's faith, hope, and love, and, but the greatest of these is what? The foundation of these is, is love. I mean, really, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationship, it's really a foundational um, aspect that we need to understand and know. And, you know, I'm not the, you know, I don't know a lot about construction, but I do know that when you pour concrete, whether it be a foundation or a footer or a sidewalk or, or whatever it is, whenever you put that rebar, whenever you put that metal in that, in that, that wet concrete, it, it makes it stronger. And really, that's what love does. It just makes everything stronger. And if you remember when I read the message of these, and I want to read it again this morning, that love, you know, the message just gives us a, a paraphrased way of, of the scripture we just read, but it says that love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love does not strut. I, always, I just have a picture of Ric Flair, you know. Woo! Um, love doesn't have a swelled head. L- doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep records of sins of others. Doesn't revel with when others grovel doesn't take pleasure. It, it, love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. It trusts God's always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going till the end. I mean, love is such a, a powerful force. And as I, I, you know, I talked last week that love is both. It is good that love isn't an emotion, but love is also a choice, and it's good that they partner together. I mean, you know, because I talk a lot, and I, the reason I say that, because I've said so many times, especially in married relationship, that love is a choice, and, and love, is, love is a decision-making process that you're going to decide that you're going to, that you're going to love someone, but thankfully, I don't have to wake up every morning and convince myself to love Angela. 
because love is also an emotion. And I, I don't know if you saw our Facebook, but today we celebrate um, uh, 23 years from our first date and where she knew she was going to marry me. <laughs> and I talked about 1 Peter 4, 8 and uh, about above all love and, and have that, that, that love one another earnestly, meaning have a chase love down for one another. I mean, I love that word description. But this morning I want to talk about the controlling nature of God's love, Christ's love, and what it does in our life. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read verse 14 and 15. And if you have the NIV, the NIV is really the only translation that says this differently than I, I normally mostly use the ESV, but in most other translation, it says it the way I'm going to read it in the ESV. But many of us have heard a sermon on this. It's been like a, a mission sermon. It's been like a, a sermon that gives us purpose because the NIV says something, has very specific wording. It talks about the love of Christ that compels us. But really, when you look at this, and we're going to talk about it, kind of what that means in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. You know, maybe you can, if you're, if you write in your, oh, wait a minute, who, who's got their Bible? Who's got their paper? Jimmy has his paper Bible. Come here, Jimmy. Man, you know what? I, I, was, I was prompted by the Lord this morning that whoever it was was going to get $100. And just so you, I'm not paying you to bring your Bible, right? So if that's your view of things, it's just something fun to do. So the love of Christ compels us in verse 15. And he died for, oh, I was going to tell you, yeah. If you have your Bible there at verse 14, when it's saying, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore we have all died, you need to write down Galatians 2.20 there and kind of go back and read that. I'm not going to preach on that this morning. I want to move on, but maybe you can put a mental note there, or actually write it down and uh, kind of help with that second part of verse 14 and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised but i'm really going to focus on that those few words that the love of christ it controls us and as i said so we've heard so many sermons i have at least on that really out of this passage that it's about missions. It's about the love of God driving us to win the loss. And there's truth in that in this passage and what Paul is writing about. But I'm going to tell you, when you look at that word control, when you look at that word, the love of Christ controls us, that word, that word in the Greek, it has a very specific meaning, and it means this. It means the, to hold fast. It means to be seized. It means to holding in custody. Now, I know that there's many of us in this life that's like, ain't nobody, nothing going to control me. I'm going to be who I am and what I am. But I'm going to tell you, as believers, we are not our own. But we are controlled and protected and guided by the love of God. 
And so to hold, think about it. So, the, so this love that we are introduced with Christ, the love of Christ controls us. Think about it. The love of Christ holds us fast. The, the love of Christ seizes us. The love of Christ holds us into a, in a place of custody. And what is being said here is that because of the love of Christ, whenever we walk through life, we have a response given to us biblically to, to respond to any situation. Do I need to say that again? I mean, I know sometimes I want to respond how I want to respond, but the love of Christ controls how I respond. The love of Christ controls what I say. The love of Christ controls how I think. The love of Christ, you understand what I'm talking about? See, we are not our own. We've been bought and paid for with a price. I mean, we have been baptized in the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And so also we should exhibit this love that God has for us. So the, really the main point this morning is this, that Christ's love directs us to the correct course of action. I wish I knew a snazzier or a, a, a shorter way to say that, but that's really all I could come up with and think of, is that the, the love of Christ, what it does, it, it works in us the correct response no matter what situation we find our in, ourselves in. The love of Christ determines our response to those around us no matter what situation that we find ourselves in. And so I, wanna, I want you to turn to a, you know, I forgot to start my timer again. Oh, well, I can't find it now either. So, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If, you know, Matt, Matthew chapter 7 is such a hot topic type of passage. And it's really because of the first verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And I'm not going to spend like a whole lot of time here, but it's going to help us kind of get where we're going. Remember, this is, this, is the, this is what we're processing, that Christ's love directs us to the correct course of action. Christ's love controls us. It controls our response to the people around us, whether it be our spouse, whether it be our children, whether it be our family, whether it be a co-worker. Are you with me so far? Okay. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Look at those. Four. Right? You, there's a lot of people living a horrendous lifestyle that when a, they're confronted with us as believers, you, I mean, what I'm trying to say is heathens know this verse. And they want to, if you've never had it thrown at you, you ain't supposed to judge me. Well, we're going to talk about these few words just for a few moments. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to another brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly and take the speck out of your brother's eye. So here is the importance, if I could really sum up this whole passage in just a few words, and that's really what it comes to what that word judge 
means. What that word judge means is to evaluate or to analyze. We're like, well, yeah, that makes sense of what judgment is. But let me, the, the, only, the best way I know to illustrate it is this way, okay? So this is a lot of people's perception about what that verse means is that I'm living life and I'm, I'm doing things that are really contrary to what Scripture says. And a lot of people's perception is if they are confronted with what they are doing, they can say, you ain't supposed to judge me or what I'm doing. But that's not at all what this judgment is and what this judging is talking about. You know what's talking? Hey, Jimmy, come here and help me since I already paid you. <laughs> Uh, come up here on the platform. Here's what this verse says. Here's, here's what this verse means. It's not that Jimmy may be off doing something contrary to God's word, and then I confront Jimmy with what he's doing. He's like, you have no place to judge me. Get the log out of your own eye. See, the judging this verse is talking about is this. Are you following me? Thank you. That's what it's talking about. It's saying that us as believers, us as believers, when you are serving the Lord, that you don't have a place to look at somebody at a place. Matter of fact, the Bible said that this way, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Has anybody ever heard that verse quoted? And so when we're looking at that, that's what this is talking about. That, and yes, believers should be discerning, but Scripture actually tells us that we are allowed to make judgments. Matter of fact, I mean, the Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that the spiritual man is able and can make judgments according to spiritual things, but that we can make judgments. I mean, we can recognize their fruit. If, the Bible, matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it tells us if your brother or sister sins, that you are to go out and gently point out their sin. That's what the Bible says. So yes, we can make judgments when we look at someone's lifestyle, their fruit, and judge it according, not your opinion, not your traditions, but according to what Scripture tells us is sin. We can, we can go to our brother, and the Bible says, matter of fact, when you do that, just keep it between the two of you, and if they listen to you, you've won them over. But Paul taught that we should exercise church discipline. I mean, matter of fact, when you look, the reason why 1 Corinthians was written was because there was a guy in the church sleeping with his stepmom. And that's what kind of the reason why 1 Corinthians was written. And 2 Corinthians was written because of his restoration because of 1 Corinthians. And so we can confront those things. Those who judge in the manner of being, of looking at someone and, uh, uh, you know, you know, you're just thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, and, and you're making a judgment towards somebody or their lifestyle. What the Bible is telling us in Matthew 7 is that if you judge in that way, God's going to judge you in that way. And that should be very sobering. For with the judgment you pronounce, Matthew 7, 2, you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
But see, Jesus also taught us this. It's in the Beatitudes. It's on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7, that blessed are the merciful, for they will receive what? Mercy. And I've said it so many, I don't know about you, but I don't need more condemnation. I don't need more judgment. I need mercy. I need mercy. For if you forgive, it says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, in every single situation, the love of Christ compels us, controls us, and our response to those around us. And you are not going to go through this life and not get hurt. You're not going to go through this life and something happen that really turns your world upside down. But you are obligated by the mercy of God that when you're dealing with other people in relationships that you are to forgive. And that is Christ controlling our response. Judge not that you might be judged. It's one of the most uh, misquoted scriptures from Bible. God never commanded us to reject people because they are not living up to a certain spiritual standard. I want to read that again. God never commanded us to reject people because they are not living up to a certain spiritual standard. What do we say here all the time at OFA? If they walk through that door, we're going to love them, we're going to embrace them, we're going to accept them. If we meet them on the street, they don't even have to come through the door. That should be our response anyway. We should seek to measure ourselves uh, with this, this, this unhealthy way, um, uh, the way we should look at it, what Paul is kind of saying, you know, this is kind of reverse on the, on the golden rule. You know, you, you love others, you know, you love your neighbor as you love yourself, but we should seek to measure ourselves by others by the same standard. You know, I, you've heard it said, right, that, so, you know, we, so many times we judge people on, on their actions and our intentions, and it's easy to do that, but Jesus is saying um, this is unacceptable and that we are not to live that. Billy Graham said it this way, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's God's job to judge, and my job to love. I like that quote. And so what do we do? When you perceive a, a fault in others, so many times our, our impulse is to reject that person or confront that person, but we must ask ourselves first if we are aware of our own failures. And you, there is a theme through Scripture in Galatians and Corinthians and what Jesus taught in, in Matthew about the speck and the log is that that's what that's talking about. When it's saying, you know, you look at the speck but you have the log in your own, what it's saying is the, the intended meaning is, is make sure whatever your ruler you're using for others, you're using that ruler for yourself because I don't know about you but I'm I'm not perfect and there wasn't a star on your manger either so what do we do when we're in those situations when we're we're in that we're in we're in that fire we're in that that kettle we're in that problem we're in that our marriage relationship and it's like the bottom is falling out what what are what do we do and I'm going to say this is going to be extremely extremely practical but number one is this, is that you attack the problem and not the person. You attack the problem and not the person. That's how the love of God controls us. That's how 
that how he constrains us, how he seizes us. Because, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that whenever, whenever issues happen, we, we have a tendency to attack the person, but we're not to attack the person, we're to attack the problem, whether it be in marriage or with your kids or your co-workers or a church family. I mean, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 12, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Now, but I also want to say this, not that not, not everything that happens is the devil's fault. I mean, we would like to be the church lady and, and blame, you know, the devil on everything, but sometimes we do good enough on our own in getting ourselves in a mess, the devil doesn't have to be involved in all. So we attack the problem and not the person. I've said it so many times, but I really want to say this again, that if you're in a rut and you can't get out of it relationally, I say this all the time, especially to marriages that are in crisis, what you have to decide, you have to get to the point that you're, you're not going to heal or mend or work out every single issue that you've ever had. Sometimes you just got to get to the point and you, you do it out of love. That you just let the water go under the bridge and you start over. It doesn't mean that you're not going to come back and address those problems. It doesn't mean you're not going to come back and address those specific issues that causes the arguments. But you have to come back to the place of love. And it's a choice to say, you know what, I love you. We're just going to let this go and we're going to work it out. And if you got to seek help, you seek help. You do whatever you have to do to get to that place of healing. But sometimes you just have to let it go and take the issue one at a time and communicate, communicate, communicate. Number two is this, get all the facts. Don't jump to conclusions. Whenever you are in an issue, whenever you know, these problems are happening, one of the greatest things that we can do is see the other person's side. We can see the other person's side. Never let assumptions rule. Nothing is more damaging than jumping to conclusions. I heard a quote one time that first said, that's usually the only mental exercise we do is jumping to conclusions. But I'm going to tell you, I, I can't say it from the pulpit, but I have a saying about assumptions. If you want to know, you can ask me later. Nothing is more damaging than jumping to conclusions. Realize that even with you. Say to your, matter of fact, I want you to say to yourself right now, there may be another side to the story. Usually there are two sides and then the truth. And just so you know, I can't tell you how many times, and I, you know what, and listen, that's why I'm here for, I want to be here. I, you know, I, I want to meet with you counts the best I can and and, and all those things, but just know, you need to know that whenever somebody, like when a spouse comes to me and there's marital issues, don't, don't, you, don't you dare think I take it hook, line, and sinker. Is it okay for me to say that out loud? Because I know there's usually two sides and then the truth. I love how Proverbs in the message, it tells us in Proverbs 25, 8 through 18, it says, don't jump to conclusions. There may, a, may be a perfectly good explanation for what you just saw. Has anybody ever experienced that? I, we were at a, I, where we were, where, I can't remember, where, we were somewhere. We were somewhere, and uh, if you, anybody know, does anybody know Roger and Robert Kirkendall? Does anybody know them? So, you know, Roger and Robert are twins, and uh, the older they've gotten, they, I mean, they really don't look so twinish, but they look close enough, and the thing is, 
is Kayla and Lori, they kind of even look a little bit similar. But we were somewhere, and I remember which, which, which one. We're at Play Texas, and the kids see Robert with his wife. And the kids are getting upset. They're like, why is Roger with that other woman? It's like, what? And we're like, what? And it's like, no, that's Robert. That's Robert, you know. I mean, we even made the same mistake on our missions board. We had Robert and his wife up there, not Roger, but we got that fixed. And so just know there may be a perfectly good explanation of what you just saw. Verse 9 and 10, in the heat of an argument, don't betray confidences. Word is sure to get around and no one will trust you. I threw this one in, this because I thought it was a good one. It really doesn't apply to what we're talking about, but... Like billowing clouds that bring no rain is a person who talks big but never produces. That's a pretty good proverb. Um, verse 15, but it says this. Patient persistence pierces through indifference. Does that not sound like love is patient? Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrong. Are you with me this morning? Patient persistence pierces through all indifference. Gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. The, the third thing is this. So let's get all the facts first. The third thing is this is look for the positives. No matter how bad things get in every situation, you can find something positive. The, where, where it happens so many times that finality comes where it should not happen is because it's, you can no longer fake, focus on what is good. But the Bible says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there anything worthy of praise, think about those things. I mean, sometimes I get lost in my headspace. I don't know if anybody else is like this. But I can have entire conversations with a lot of people at the same time does anybody know where I'm going? Is anybody with me? Matter of fact, I can have such powerful arguments with other people in my head <laughs> that I get mad, stressed, anxious, and offended, and yet I really not have encountered them in real life and reality. Some of you, you know, you're like, I'm not admitting to that, but that's me. I know some of you. I mean, I, I've done that so many times, but what you have to do is realize it's, it's kind of taking both, don't jump to conclusions or assumptions and look for the good and don't play that out in your head. But look for the positives. Don't always be bent towards the negative. Number four is this. And he, these last two things are really so important. And you're, in case you haven't really made the connection, what I'm saying is this. And I kind of just want to just inject this in there before I move on any further, is that, see, the love of Christ controls us. And so please, maybe, hopefully you're understanding right now what I'm trying to say is, is that when any given situation, there is a way that I want to respond. If you don't know our family very well, um, our family, we are very quick-witted. We're very, um, you know, well, I, one time, I, I, it was hilarious because Shaylee, she, I, I was saying Shaylee and her friends somewhere, and, uh, you know, we call them burns. I don't know what you call them, but, you know, we kind of, you know, it's our love language. And so, but Shaylee's in the car, and, you know, and she just, her friend said something, and Shaylee just that quick wit, you know, I mean, she burned one of them. 
And, but then I jumped on that, and I came right back at Shaylee and said something, and all of her friends were like, oh, Shaylee, that's where you get it, you know. <laughs> but listen to me. Number four is this. Never withhold love. No matter how rough it gets. So what I'm saying is, is whenever those situations happens, there's a way that naturally, because of our filters, because of our past, because of hurts in the past, because of, there's so many factors that come in how do we respond to something. What I'm trying to tell you is that when the love of God comes into your life, he can direct all of that. He can direct your responses where you, you end the damaged relationships. And so never withhold love, no matter how rough it gets. It's okay to tell those who hurt you they hurt you. It's okay to talk about with your feelings and how you feel when you've been hurt. You know, sometimes Angela hurts my feelings. Oh, that's, you give me no sympathy. As we say, oh, you know, poor pastor. See, y'all see this side, but I don't, no, I'm kidding. I, but I'm going to tell you, I've never forced her to sleep on the couch, ever. You know, there's times I've wounded Angela deeply. You know what? She never grabbed a pillow and a blanket and threw it at me and said, you're not sleeping in here. You know what that is? That's the love of God controlling the response to not make it worse than what it is, but give that opportunity for restoration and healing. I've been wounded deeply by people close to me, but I'm going to tell you something. I always leave the door open. And I'll tell you why I always leave the door open, because that's exactly what Jesus would do. Have I always got it right? No. Have, have I messed up? Absolutely. But I do the best I can to always leave the door open for reconciliation in any relationship. The love of Christ controls us. And the fifth thing is this is to check your words. Your words are like natural glycerin. They're like dynamite. Your words have the power to blow up bridges or to heal wounded hearts. I mean, I want to go, just through, you read the book of Proverbs. Matter of fact, I, I, you know, every year we're in a daily reading. We're in a daily reading right now, kind of a unique way of, of reading a chapter of, of different books at a time that'll get you through the, um, the New Testament twice and through the Old Testament once. But I'm going to tell you, for years what I've practiced is no matter what my daily reading is, always read a proverb. I read a proverb every single day. There's 31 proverbs. It gives you one a day. And you, you got to double up a little bit in February. It's okay. But you always read a proverb. Because they're, I mean, it's, the proverbs is powerful. Proverbs 11:12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. So, I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, you, you verbally ridicule somebody because they did something stupid, but who's the one the Bible says lacks sense? Think about that for a minute. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Proverbs 51, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and the health to the body. 
Psalm 18.4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The foundation of wisdom is a bubbling brook. In other words, our words are life-giving water. Proverbs 18.20, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Proverbs 20.15, there is gold and abundance of costly stones but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. And I mean, you, I mean, there's really, you could go on and on and on in a search in Proverbs. And what I, kind of how I want to wrap this up and bring this together, we're going to do something very unique. Very unique. But I, I'm reminded of a verse in Micah chapter 4, verse 9. Micah is not really one of those books we, were, we, we look at very often. But there's a, there's a verse in, in, in Micah chapter 4 and verse 9, and it has some very powerful words. And it says, in that passage, there's a few words, and it says this. Is there, is there no king in you? Is there no king in you? And really the context is not really what's important right now. That, we don't do that all the time, but here's what I want you to understand. Is that I believe inside every single one of us there is a king. And because of that, every one of us have God-given potential uh, and destinies of what God wants to work out in our life. But I'm going to tell you, man, maybe you've never made this connection before, but if you want to see God's destiny, you wanna, who wants to see, you want to see God's fulfillment as destiny in your life, you know what you have to do? Allow the love of Christ to control you. And so we have this king on the inside of us, but we may, we may struggle, but there's a king there. We may fail, but there's a, a king inside of us. Sometimes it may not be easy to see that king, but that king is there. But here's what I know. A lot of people go through life speaking to the fool in someone. And if you, in any relationship, especially with our children, if you speak to the fool, the fool will stand up. If you speak to the king, the king will stand up. I'm going to say that again. If you speak to the fool, the fool will stand up. If you speak to the king, the king will stand up. You see, we have a rule. And, you know, our family, so you know, <laughs> I do think our family, there's some things we do right, but our, our family is not perfect. But I'm going to tell you a principle that we live by is that we never say never and we never use always unless it's positives. We never say never, we never use always, unless it's positives. Because rarely is a always and a never in the negative true. Matter of fact, I can say it's never always true. If you speak to the fool, you'll, the fool will stand up. If you, if you speak to the king, the king will stand up. I mean, if I'm frustrated with Chase, I don't go to Chase and say, you never do what I tell you. You never do anything right. You, you always would fill in the blank. Now, that may be true with him never taking out the trash, but that's a whole never issue. That doesn't apply here. Sorry, bub. I don't do that to Angela. I don't do that to Shaylee. I don't do that to Chase. I don't do that to Kaylee. And I don't do that to you. Because I believe in speaking to the king 
You see, that's what we do when we say we, put, we use the power of our words and we're, we're speaking to somebody. And if we're speaking, the ne- we're emphasizing the negative, you'll see the negative exhibited. You'll see the negative stand up and come out. Because that's the power of our words. But if you'll speak belief into somebody, come on now, church. If you, if you look past all the, the junk and see what God's doing and pull that out and speak to that, we'll see that grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you, And if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.